The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Proverbs 22:13 is one, I think, of a humorous uh, proverb, but also some tragedy in it. But the slothful man says, there's a lion outside. Now, I, I'm telling you what, it reminds me growing up. Now, I'm from the South, and the Grand Ole Opry was big down here, and the comedian was Jerry Clower. And he <laughs> would tell a joke about a guy saying, there's a lion outside. And so when I read that today, I have to admit, my mind went to somewhere besides the Bible, but Jerry Clower's story about the lion outside. This is Bert Harper along with Alex McFarland, and we're able to get into the Word of God on a daily basis. And in Proverbs chapter 22, there is one proverb right after another that just has great, great emphasis in our day. Again, thank you for listening. Alex, again, Proverbs 22, uh, it is jam, all of them are good, but 22 is jam-packed with great promises and principles that, that we need to listen to. Well, exactly. And Bert, it's great to be with you and everybody listening. Thank you for tuning in to a brand new edition of Exploring the Word. We're in Proverbs 22. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about virtue and vice, virtues like truth and righteousness and honesty and forgiveness, vices, one of which is like laziness, the slothful man. Oh, I can't go to work. There might be a lion in the streets. I, I would be slain in the streets, yeah. said verse 13. And uh, you know what? There's an excuse for not doing the right thing, but we are to do the right thing. And um, it's interesting how verse 13 is kind of standing alone right there, because verse 14 is going to talk about a, a moral issue. But, Bert, don't you find, as you and I have read through the book of Proverbs, I mean, there's just these, these gems, these jewels of wisdom just in in every single verse. It is. And, and again, we could just start anywhere. Uh, many times they're standalone, but sometimes, like 17 through 20, they kind of go together, and, and you can look at it and see how, how Solomon was thinking. But I want to go back, and I haven't referred this to quite a bit. Think of a father or a grandfather just walking alone, and down a road, down a, a through the woods, whatever it might be, and and the father or grandfather is just sharing with that son or grandson the things that he's observed and seen, and God has taught him. This is kind of what it's like. Uh, Solomon just sharing the things that God has shown him, things he's observed. And verse seven, uh, we cut, we quit at verse six. We spent most of our time in Proverbs twenty-two six last Thursday, so we wanted to not completely miss the rest of the whole proverb. But seven has something to say too. The rich rules over the poor, and then here is a one of those classics. Mm-hmm that is repeated again and again, the borrower is servant to the lender. Alex, I grew yes. up hearing that all my life. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's become what we call an, an axiom or axiomatic. It's a saying, borrower is servant to the lender. 
And it, that's just kind of common knowledge, and yet it comes right out of the pages of God's Word, doesn't it? It does, and, uh, and he and and that is because again. Uh, we're talking about what all he deals with. He deals with laziness, but he also deals with work and money, doesn't he? Well, a- absolutely, uh, absolutely. And you know, um, it's interesting. Um, I love language, and we- we've said this many times. God only has to say something once for it to be true, right? But when you see repeated things in the Bible, like in verse fourteen, the mouth of the strange woman is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord will fall therein. The word pit, Bert, I, I looked up P-I-T, pit, like Joseph was thrown in a pit. Um, God delivered me out of the pit. Do you know, at least 46 times the word or the concept of a pit is in the Bible. Now, and in the ancient world, I mean, imagine if you're out in the wilderness and you fall in a deep hole or an abandoned well and you, you couldn't get out. Uh, there's nobody there to rescue you. So nearly 50 times the Bible warns us about not falling into a pit. Well, in very powerful language that should get our attention, verse 14 is a warning against immorality. In other words, if you go that way, you may not realize it. What you're doing, you're purposely throwing yourself down into a pit and you might as well be somebody that the Lord hates as to fall into a trap like that. I find these these warnings, the way that Proverbs words them, they're very powerful, aren't they? They are. And talking about a pit, and this is just a word picture. Someone said, if you're not careful, you'll fall in a pit. And if you're not careful, you'll be in a rut. And all a rut is is a pit with two ends knocked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and we're and when I read this in the pit, I couldn't help but think about that because it leads to ongoing. Uh, they think, well, I will find someone else, but it's still in the pit. The immoral woman, and and you say, well, I, I'll give that one up. But again, they find the same thing. A lot of times, this is repetitious. You know, uh, yeah. it's not just the one time, but it's repetitious. It's addictive, and it continues. And so, listen, all these warnings that Solomon gives are very significant, and we need to underline them in our hearts and our minds. And then he he goes on to another relationship in verse 15 that is so powerful, Alex. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the right of correction will drive it far from him. Now, again, we're not talking about abuse, not beating. But we are talking about the rod of correction. Dr. Dobson would talk about this and said, find something besides your hand to discipline your children when you're doing that kind of punishment. And uh, there was several reasons for it. And But it, I find that just really wisdom, filled with wisdom, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Do you know after they've learned Dada and Mama what usually the next word Two words that children I, learn. I'm going to guess. Is it no? And mine. <laughs> really? Isn't that Yes, something? they'll say mine, and when you tell them something, they'll say no. Those two words are easy. They, they'll they get mama and dada mixed up. I was reading an article about a, a little boy, and every time they'd say tell him to say mama, he'd say dada. You know, but on mine and no, I want to tell you, they, they come in the world, I think, knowing those words, Alex. 
Well, um, <laughs> hey, I've got a trivia question for you. Okay. What What does Doris Day have to do with the book of Proverbs? Do you remember the singer Doris I Day? I do, yeah. I remember one of the movies that she was in with Jimmy Stewart. I know the Jimmy Stewart movies. And uh, the man who knew too much, and she would say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. But what is well, this? I don't know. Well, que sera, sera is that some, whatever will be, will be. It, in other words, it means something is unavoidable, right? Right. Okay. Now, generally, that is Italian, but it comes from a Hebrew word, que sera. Foolishness is que sera unavoidably in the heart of a child. Now, Mark Lowry, if you remember, he's hilarious, sang with the Gaither vocal band. Uh, Mark Lowry said that he felt like Proverbs twenty two fifteen was his parents' life verse because <laughs> he was a rambunctious, you know, he's a funny comedian. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him, said Mark Lowry. And he said that his parents believe, and we were in Sunday school with him, um, Charles Lowry and Bev Lowry, they were wonderful. They're in heaven now. But he said he got a whipping a lot. But here's the thing about the word quesera, uh, from which later there was a hit song. But anyway, it's unavoidable. Look, we have a sin nature. This is why we need a Savior. God loves us. God cares for us. But you're right. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Now, why do, why do children need correction? because um, a little trait that's not addressed might become a destiny. You know, Bert? It is. And um, childhood foolishness can become adult iniquity. And I want to say this. I know that, you know, with Dr. Spock's baby book in the 60s, we got a generation of permissive parenting. we need correction. I needed correction as a child. I still need correction as an adult, Bert. Well, that verse we ha- says, train up a child in the way he should go, goes yeah. along with this. Now, this, the rod of correction is needed, but some children respond, others as well. Time out, in the corner, standing in the corner. Uh, you know, different children respond different ways, but the foolishness is there, but the rod of correction... Does it need? It could be used a little or a lot. A lot for Mark Lowry, <laughs> it happened to be a lot. But for some people I know, it they didn't have to do it much. They they were easily trained. So Alex, yeah. but the the foolishness is there either way. Well, you know, uh, the Proverbs talks about bribes too, and a few chapters back it talked about that um, the king gets entreaties. All right, now listen to verse 16. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches shall come to want. But guess what else? He that gives to the rich shall come to want. Um, Now, I think what 16 is saying is we don't show respect of persons for our own greed. Uh, We don't oppress the poor. That's wrong. But we don't try to curry favor. You, You can't spend your way to prosperity. You can't tax your way to prosperity. Um, Bert, verse 16, uh, is a reminder about honesty and um, equality in the way we treat people, not trying to um, have some sort of scheme to benefit ourselves. Alex, uh, God seems to have... uh, 
a lot of scripture concerning how you treat those that are less fortunate than you. You know, mm-hmm. how do you treat them? The book of Proverbs talking about some of the the parables that Jesus talked about. I mean, you just this good Samaritan, that man that was taken and robbed. The you know the priest went on by, the Levite went on by, but the Samaritan came and took care of him. God seems to look at that. He talks about pure religion being for the the orphan, the fatherless, and the widows who were very unfortunate circumstances in that day. So be careful how you treat those around you. I would say this, you better also be careful. You may be entertaining angels unaware. And uh, so treating all people fairly, no matter who, is is a quality that God really puts a, a star by and say, do this. So I think and- 16 says that quite loudly. You know, um, 17 through 21 seems to be kind of a section. We've talked about these verses that are kind of standalone jewels. But then 17 through 21, to me, Bert, seem to go together. Now, 22 is a standalone. Right. But 17 through 21, bow down your ear, listen to me. It'll be a pleasant thing if you take heed to these words, that thy trust may be in the Lord. I underline that one, Alex. I underline that Verse 19. Yes, I did. And uh, 20, I've written to you excellent things, counsels, and knowledge. Those three things, excellent thing, counsels, knowledge. I mean, you could parse out, you know, the different types of wisdom God's graciously sent to us. There's a lot here, isn't there? There is. Verse 19, we're going to talk just a little bit more about it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seems like we've heard that in Proverbs as well. So we'll be back with more of Proverbs 22 here on Exploring the Word. Don't go away. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Sonia Sotomayor, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. She has served on the court since 2009. Prior to her Supreme Court nomination, she was both a district court judge and an appeals court judge. Psalm 33.5 reminds us of the importance of justice. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Justice Sotomayor as she serves on the Supreme Court. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. After life knocks us down enough times, getting up just feels like an invitation to have it happen all over again. Dr. Tony Evans says getting up isn't something you do alone. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. When I was growing up, what I did on many Saturdays would go to the Lafayette Bowling Alley. Well, back then, bowling wasn't sophisticated like it is now. The technology was not as it is now. There was a man behind each of the alleys who would walk from lane to lane, picking up pins, that had been knocked over that the equipment didn't get. Now, you never saw this guy's face. I never knew who this was. You saw his feet. 
And all he did was go from lane to lane to lane to lane, picking up pins that had been knocked over, that the machinery didn't get. All I knew is he was able to take something that had been rolled over and set it up right again. If you feel like your life has been rolled over by your circumstances and there is no hope, I can't tell you what he looks like, but I do know somebody who can go from life to life, family to family, church to church, culture to culture, and he knows how to take things that have been knocked over and set them up right again. So don't you quit. Don't you give up. Even though life has knocked you over, you can keep going so that you will know that he alone is the Lord God of your circumstances. It's never too late to make a fresh start in your faith. Find out more with the help of Dr. Evans' CD series, Divine Reset, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. There is a phrase that really leaps off the page out of verse 21. Proverbs 22 is where we are on today's edition of Exploring the Word. The certainty of the words of truth. It says that I might make known to you the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Hi, Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper. Bert, uh, don't you love that phrase? Because we know God's word is true. Friend, the Bible, you can depend on the Word of God. And I love that little clause there, the certainty of the words of truth. Bert, God's Word is certain. It is. And Alex, that's why 17 through 21, they go together. They make the case. And and I do want to connect 19 and 21. I do. All of them are connected, but 19 and 21 are really connected. Notice, so that your trust may be in the Lord. Now, how can that happen? A lot of it happens because the certainty of God's truth. What else are you going to turn to? Do you remember John chapter 6 when Jesus had a great multitude following him? Had you noticed numbers never impressed him, uh, Jesus? That's true. That's true. And so he was thinning the ranks, and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. Now, he wasn't talking about cannibalism, but he was talking about unless you're willing to take me all the way, surrender to me all the way, and come follow me, you can't be my disciples, really what he's referring to. And it says, from that day, John six sixty six, many of those turned away and walked no more with him. Jesus turned to his apostles and said, are you also going to go away? And Peter, and we've said this many times on this program, Peter answered, to whom would we go? You, how the words of life. When I see verse 19, so that your trust may be in the Lord, and 21, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth. I want to tell you, Alex, 
we have a sure word. Listen, people are saying, oh, listen to the science. Uh, well, here's what that group of people is doing. They're saying if the science agrees with my philosophy, I go by it. When science yeah, right, doesn't right. agree with my philosophy, I don't. I want to tell you, preach it, brother. You're not trying to get the word of God lined up with what you're thinking. It's you lining up with what you think with the word of God. Now, Alex, Amen. the word of God. Uh, I remember W. A. Crystal, the great pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas, where Dr. Robert Jeffries is now, and he was at a Bible conference, and he had a Bible in his hand, and he laid the Bible on the floor, and he didn't step on it, but he's put his foot over it. He said, there's those that interpret the Bible with them above the Bible saying what they would trust and would not trust. He said, that's not what you do. You don't read the Bible picking and choosing. Then he picked the Bible up, held it over his head, and he said, we're to get under the word of God and line up our ways and our thoughts with the word of God. Now, I believe when I read Proverbs 22, 21, I've got to line my life up, my thoughts, my attitudes, my principles, my convictions with the Word of God. Amen. Bert, preach it, brother. That that is wonderful that you would say that. And you're right. We don't we don't pick and choose from the Bible to validate our own uh, pre you know presuppositions. We look at what the Word of Truth says, and we change our life to be in conformity to the Word of God. And uh, that section there, Proverbs twenty-two seventeen through 21, indicates that. Uh, verse 22 is somewhat similar to verse 16. Rob not the poor, because he is poor. Neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. We, we don't exploit people. We're not to take advantage of people um, when they're vulnerable or down. And we don't take advantage of people at any time. Verse 23. Well, Alex, before you leave 22, let me just make this observation, see if you agree. I think there's a lot of it afflicted at the gate. Mm -hmm. Who sat at the gate? Elders, leadership. And it's really striking a note to those in leadership taking advantage of those that should be coming to them for godly good advice and help. And so uh, oppress the afflicted at the gate. No, the mm -hmm. afflicted come in, and those at the gate should help them. What can we do? Give them good direction, not oppress them and misdirect them. Exactly. And, and there's a lot that could be said here about um, those in positions of authority, elected officials or political leaders that leverage people for political gain. Amen. Uh, verse 23, for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. Uh, we read earlier in the book of Proverbs how God sees, and, and he really, really does. And so personally, uh, nationally, God sees. Um, verse 24 is a good admonition. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest you learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Um, do you know what? Um, when people lose their temper, there are certain chemicals released, and anger can become a habit you pick up, and that is a habit you don't want to pick up. And uh, Bert, I think we've all known people that tended toward anger and uh, there's a warning here because that is a vice that can definitely, definitely be a snare to your soul. It is, Alex. And again, 
we see here Solomon just writing it as a father. This sounds just like a father giving advice to his son or a grandfather to a grandson or a granddaughter even here. And make no friendship with anger. Uh, I There's a difference in keeping acquaintances and keeping the the pathway open to conversation and, and help, you know, in communication than mm-hmm. being a friend with them, uh, that you walk with them. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos 3.3. And so you don't want to walk side by side with an angry man, the furious man. Why? You learn his ways. Uh that, that's pretty powerful, learn his ways. Now, what did Jesus do on the opposite side of that? He chose 12 men to walk with him and learn his ways, Alex. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he, demonstra- he let them participate in feeding the 5,000. He let them participate in helping with other people. And so we learn those ways. Don't you think this opposite of this is so important and we call it mentorship. We call it people that we learn from. I refer to Dr. Bobby Moore, uh, Dr. James Travis all the time on this program because they mentored me and they showed me right the opposite of this, to not be an angry man, to be a wise man, to be a, a man that is slow to pull that trigger. Don't be too quick to make those judgments. Alex, uh, right mm-hmm. the opposite of 24 and 25 should be what we should be about, shouldn't it? Well, it should. Did you ever, um, in your study, uh, come across the word that is very often in the New Testament translated disciple is the word methetus? Do you remember that? Yeah, I sure do. And it it really means a learner or a pupil, but uh, believe it or not, methetus, and I'm I'm looking at the lexicon right here, is the word from which we get the word math, the mental effort needed to think something through. And, you know, when, when we spend time with not only the Lord and his word, but the people that shape our life, you influence my life, Bert. Uh, you and I both have been influenced by great people like Adrian Rogers and people. But we think, we observe, we internalize, we, we learn and commit yourself. Because I, I think, let me say this, um, a, a big, big issue of stewardship is the life of the mind. How Because... How we think uh, shapes what we do and shapes who we are and what we make as a priority. Commit yourself alone with the Bible, under good preaching and teaching, around godly people that will lift you up, not bring you down. But I think that we have to make the commitment to be a lifelong learner, and that's part of the disciples' commitment and obligation, actually. It is, and that's why... I remember the joke, you know, what's the difference in a disciple and an epistle? You know, uh, an epistle is a letter. That was just because they have similar sound. But I I started connecting those because Jesus discipled those men and the Holy Spirit would, would indwell them and move them. We have the epistles coming from the disciples. Now, Now, follow this truth. Isn't that still true? Now, not, now, I'm not equating our teaching or our writing or anything equivalent to the Word of God, but because we have been discipled 
we are able to pass on what God has given to us to others. And, and again, that's what we should be about. The next generation, I had some people sometime, older people, and I was pastor, and they want to know, what, what, you do, what are you doing for us? And I said, I'm trying to equip you to win the next generation. And Amen. that should be our goal. Yes, we're yeah. concerned about our generation, and we do make efforts. But I am telling you, were you raised hearing that Christianity was always one generation away from extinction? Oh, yeah, I, I heard that. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I, you know, I, I grew up, my family for 200 years was in a church called Buffalo Presbyterian Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Very historic church. But I came to the Lord when I was in college through a Baptist church. And really, I got heavily discipled into the Baptist church. But I learned a lot at Buffalo Presbyterian Church. Uh, and I remember, and I didn't understand what it meant, but I was a teenager at the Presbyterian Church. And a speaker one morning said, um, Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. We've always got to pass it on. And I didn't know what it meant back then. That's really true. Now, now, Bert, speaking of um, maybe we win people to Christ, but maybe we can equip a generation that after we're gone, they're going to lead many more people to Christ. It's almost like, okay, David got the building materials for the temple. And he, he got the lumber, but Solomon got to actually build it, yep. you know? Yeah. But isn't it, even if we don't, I'll put it this way, maybe you can't go to India or Africa or China on a mission trip, but you can help send somebody who can. Or, or you know, maybe you don't see the fruit, but you got to plant the seed. As long as we're part of the Great Commission equation, that in itself is an honor, isn't it? It is. And when you were talking, I could not help but think about the first missionaries, especially to India and China. Very mm -hmm. few were one in that first generation. But the second generation of missionaries that came, there was reward. You know, mm. and they and laid so a foundation. They did, and you've got to have that foundation strong. And let, let's, I, I, I know you may want to get to 29, but I really thought verse 28 is one of the neatest verses, I, I think, Amen. in the Bible. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Now, again, we're talking about boundaries, okay? You're talking about geographical boundaries, and these landmarks are important. It would keep the 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 landowners from occupying and acquiring more every 50 years is supposed to be a year of jubilee so honestly what they would do in buying the land they were more like stewards they had the land for a while but remember those ancient ancient landmarks now that's not only true geographical but i would say that is true socially as well alex uh, well, amen. Well said about that. You know, some of the things that people dismiss and, oh, that's just old-fashioned. That's not uh, important anymore. No, it might be very, very important. Um, you know, the, the word landmark there is a boundary or a territory. Um, boundary lines, barriers, things that keep order and structure. We need those. And that's why this was a, a command. You know, don't, don't remove those landmarks that your fathers have set. And, Bert, there's something to be said about the maturity of respecting uh, the leaders above us, 
the people that came before us. Maybe I don't know all the backstory. Maybe I don't understand everything. But um, when you come, and you know, being from the South, I've I've walked through many a pasture. I've been in many a field. I've I've been hiking in the woods, and you stumble upon what is obviously some granite, you know, monument or boundary. Well, you don't you don't pull it up. You leave it there, even if I don't know all the details. There's a reason somebody put that there, and uh, let let me just say, um, it's it's we're living in a time where socially, morally, spiritually, even constitutionally, there's a lot of revisionism being attempted. That's the whole idea, and these, that's unwise. It is, and it leads to confusion. It leads to disorder, and it leads to lawlessness. And I'm saying right now in America. We are receiving what we have laid out by removing these boundaries, whatever they are. Yes, physical boundaries, but also I'd say the moral and social boundaries. We are paying the consequences now. The last verse says this. Do you see a man who excels, excels in work? He will stand before king. He will not stand before unknown men. I, the illustration I heard from John Phillips was this. Abraham Lincoln. Who, who was a rail splitter, raised in poverty. But because of his reading and his determination, he would excel in his work, and he would become president of the United States and stand before kings. I thought that was a real good illustration of verse 29. Amen. Amen. Well, and, and let me, I've got the King James here. The man, it says, diligent in his business means prompt. Stand before kings, it means stationed with kings, not people that are uh, failing. You want to be stationed with those that are succeeding. Amen. Hey, we're going to take phone calls. That number, 888-589-8840. There's a guy that will answer your phones, and he is ready to do so. Give us a call. Can we trust the Bible? He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks, the important documentary from the American Family Association, is now available to watch for free on AFA's brand new streaming platform. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to watch this award-winning film today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. This is Frank Affney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A Kansas woman named Allison Fluke Ekron defected to Syria and rose through the ranks of ISIS to lead a battalion of female terrorists. She faked her death in 2018 to evade capture by the U.S. government, but she was ultimately arrested on the Syrian battlefield and extradited last week to face terrorism charges in the U.S. She's accused of recruiting terrorists to attack an American college, as well as planning terrorist attacks at American shopping malls. 
Fluke Ekren reportedly believed that any attack that didn't kill a large number of people was a waste of resources. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 19, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. In the 19th century, David Livingston made extremely dangerous explorations within the interior of Africa. He sought to open what he called a missionary road to bring Christianity to Africa's unreached people. Someone asked him if he didn't fear that his task was too difficult and too dangerous. He answered, I am immortal until the will of God for me is accomplished. Jesus Christ has given you authority over anything that would try to prevent you from completing God's purpose for you. So be bold. In Christ, you can do anything he asks of you. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert, so honored that you're listening. Hey, the number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. We'd love for you to call us right now with a Bible question. We'll do our best to give you an answer. And Bert, I want to say how much I appreciate everybody uh, planning to come to the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove, July 8 through 10. I'll be there teaching through the book of First Peter. The Cove is wonderful. We'd love to see you there, and we'll hear the Word of God. We'll fellowship. We'll eat good. We'll pray together. It'll be a good time July 8 through 10. And one more thing I'd say, you can go to afastore.net and look up the 100 Bible Questions and Answers by Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, and I was checking on it. It's Some people are ordering that, and they're getting it. So you get it while it's available, and you can go to afastore.net and get that. And there's other resources. And uh, so, Alex, it's so good to be a part of that. Well, let's go to the phones. And the first place we're going to is Seth in Kentucky. Seth, what part of Kentucky are you from? Um, well, I live in the Bluegrass region. I'm between Versailles and Frankfurt. Okay. I know where the bluegrass region is anyway. <laughs> you got All the right. question Very for good. us today, brother? I do. Thank you so much. I sure appreciate you taking my call. Um, I, I was, I'm gratified and encouraged, but in a recent Bible study with my children, we're doing our family devotional time, and, and I read, um, reading through Matthew right now, and I uh, came across the story of Jairus and his daughter. Um, we're reading the New King James, and um, we're, uh, it doesn't tell us in, 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 in this chapter in Matthew that it's Jairus, but it seems like it's, the, it's probably Jairus is talking about the ruler. Uh, he's kind of boxed in by surrounding events uh, and the accounts in Luke and Mark tell you that the ruler's name is Jairus. Um, so here's, and I was just reading along, and my children raised the question I had never thought about. They said, well, um, it, it, we're told um, that the ruler describes the daughter as being dead. 
in Matthew, whereas in Mark and Luke, the similar accounts, I think it's in Matthew 9, and the parallel accounts are in Mark and Luke uh, 5 and 8, respectively, um, that the daughter is dying. And I, I, was, I was stumped. I, I thought normally, you know, we come across these things and we're told it's an issue of perspective, but I had trouble squaring this one. I wonder if you guys had a response for me. Okay. Notice, especially in Mark, and this is interrupted, and I'm setting the stage for this and Alex and answer, but, but this is one of the most unusual occurrences you'll find in the Bible. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home to plead for, you know, to heal the daughter, and he's interrupted on his way by the woman with the issue of blood, and, and that takes place. And then, in, especially in Mark's account, chapter 35, she was dying earlier, and now they come to her and say, You're de- she is dead. So when he leaves, she's dying, and when mm-hmm. uh, Jesus is on his way, the child has already died. Hasn't that occurred? Yeah, you know, it, very interesting, and I appreciate you um, bringing this up. In fact, you know, um, it's in Matthew 9, and it says dead in Mark 5. Now, and Mark is, most scholars think, earlier than Matthew, but um, the word interesting is the word eschatos. Mark 5.23 says um, that uh, she is at the end. In other words, and the word eschatology, I'm sure you've heard that word, last things. So you're right. At first, on the way, she is dying, and then by the time you know we read the Matthew account, she's already dead. But my little daughter lies at the point of death, says Mark five twenty three. But it's um, in the original Greek, it means she is literally at the end, and of course, a very 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 short time later, she did expire. So there's no. Let, let me throw a bit of a scholarly word. There is no necessary contradiction. Now, do we have to kind of dig deeply to look at the chronology? Come quickly, she's dying. Up, oh, now she's dead. But, Bert, a necessary contradiction, which would mean it's not reconcilable, uh, that's not what we have here. Exactly. And, and a lot of the times when you have the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, telling the same story, each one of them will add something that the other one didn't, like the rich young ruler. Uh, we find out different things about him being a ruler in one, him being rich in another. And and in Mark it says, and Jesus loved him. That doesn't occur in the other two. So what you do, and I think that's one of the reasons that people talk, why do you have four Gospels? Well, I, it when you fit them together, it's not that they contradict one another. When you fit them together, it fulfills more of the story. And uh, I think this this about Jairus' daughter is one of those. And, and Seth, thank you for your good call, and praise the Lord for you reading with your family. Keep that up and keep listening to us, and we encourage you to keep doing that. Let's stay in Kentucky and go to Frank. Frank, welcome. Hi there. I just wanted to call and ask, ask each one of you. Um, I've, I've been hearing this a long time, and uh, Christian people say that. Um, I was told by a pastor that it's not this isn't this the so-called verse is not in the Bible. What I'm trying to say is, uh, God's in control, and you you can look around in the world and and see how things are working out. So 
he said that's a, a, a religious, it sounds good, but there's a lot of things happening that God dis, disapproves of. Okay. So that's one 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 more uh, verse, what that verse is. Okay. We've gone over this, Alex, and your, your memory is so much better than mine. Even in Proverbs, uh, Frank, we there's a verse that we covered. It talks about man's plans and man's ways, but but interpreted, God has the last word. I think that's that's the whole idea, Frank. God yeah. has the last word, uh, and it's yeah. going. There's another passage. I, I don't know if it's in Isaiah. Proverbs. I think it is. But go ahead. Which which one in Proverbs? Well. Uh, I think you might be thinking of Proverbs 16, verse 9, that says, A man's heart plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. That's it. Yep. And, you know, Bert, there's, there's so many verses that talk about the, the sovereignty of God, that God is in, contro- uh, is in control. Yeah, one verse, and this doesn't speak directly to it, but uh, Psalm 125, verse 2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. And the word surround uh, talks about God's power. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Um, God is in control, and God is the Lord over history. Um, because like the Proverbs verse says, you know, man might think he's, calling the shots, but he really, really isn't. God is sovereign. And and that's the reason I, I, I talk about it quite a bit. Read the, that's why Revelation, yeah, it's got some stuff in it, but read the last part of it and you see out God is control. He brings it to the expected end. That's the whole idea. Uh, God brings it about to the expected end. I think it's Isaiah, something about rolling out the uh, the universe as a scroll, if you mm-hmm. roll it out, guess what it ultimately does? Rolls back in. And and so God is the one who brings the scroll in. And uh, um, he set the, who told the ocean, uh, Job, that it could go only so far, you know? Yes. God set its boundaries. Yeah, that's the control that we're talking about, Frank. I got one last verse, Bert. I know we got to move on, but Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight. Now listen to this, folks. Dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Amen. That, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight. That's a God who's in control. That's who we serve. And again, uh, it, it, you know, the whole idea, uh, Satan said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you the earth. Uh, people say it wasn't his to give. Well, he has, God's given him limited and that's the key word, limited dominion, and it's still accountable. God is in control of how much limits and where it goes and the boundaries. God is in control in that way. Frank, man, great question, and thank you. Let's go to Boyd in Georgia. Boyd, welcome. Thank you. Yes, hello. Yes, you're on, brother. Go right ahead. Okay, great. Uh, I'm... uh... First of all, I listen to you guys just about every day, and I really, really enjoy the information that you uh, give us. Well, thank you, boy. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm reading a book called Systematic Theology uh, by a gentleman named Wayne Grudem. 
I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Yeah, uh, we are. He is, uh, okay. And uh, I'll just give you the bullet version of, uh, of something I got out of this book. Uh, he seems to seems to be saying that that, it, that God has already decided who's going to save and who is not going to be saved. I just wonder what your take on that is. Alex, I remember Dr. Rogers answering that question. He said, there's a difference in pre- biblical predestination and fatalism. Uh, fatalism is God, you're saved, you're lost. You're saved, you're lost. Uh, the Bible also says we'll stand before God without excuse. The greatest excuse in the world to stand before God to tell him, you didn't choose me, that's a pretty big excuse. Uh, mm-hmm. The grace of God's appeared to all people. Uh, does he know it? I believe he does. But for as him doing that, Alex, I have a hard time. I agree with Dr. Rogers. That's fatalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and let me say this. There are many, many... We have lived, folks, oh my goodness, we have lived in an age of some magnificent Christian scholars. You've got John MacArthur and Erwin Lutzer, and yes, Wayne Grudem, who we've interviewed before. Uh, and Dr. Grudem has, uh, in general, in my opinion, done excellent, excellent scholarship. Now, among all these scholars, Dr. Jeremiah, Charles Stanley, the late Adrian Rogers, um, goodness, we have lived in the age of some incredible handlers of the Word of God. Now, different people fall on different scales of doing their best to understand something that is beyond the human mind. How God foreknows, God knows who is going to accept him and who isn't, and yet we have free will, and God doesn't force anybody, and some accept salvation and some reject. And the the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, um, they're clearly in the Bible. And Bert, I, I don't think, as much as I have theologians I've respected, I don't think that anybody completely gets it right because it's simply beyond the mind right. of man. Amen. And, Amen, Alex. And um, don't let that throw you off. Yeah. Let that, that has brought me to Christ greater in a greater sense that I yes. can't completely understand it has made me love him even more and drawn to him more, Alex. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, folks, the best book, and I know we mentioned a lot of books here, but um, I really don't know anybody who did a better job of fairly, in a balanced way, looking at all the issues. Norm Geisler wrote a book. It was published by Bethany House called Chosen But Free. Chosen But Free. And uh, let me just say about predestination, um, the, the main thing is of those that accept Christ and are born again, it is God's predestined will that you will be conformed to the image of Christ and get a glorified body one day. That we know. I want to say this. I do not believe that you biblically can say God created a segment of the human race merely to put them into hell. No, God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. Now, not, a, not everybody accepts salvation, but everybody could be saved. So um, 
many scholars, like there, there's a man on the West Coast, brilliant, brilliant guy, J.P. Moreland, uh, who says, look, if God just made some people with no recourse whatsoever merely to condemn them, that would compromise his just, moral, righteous, merciful nature. So it, it's a lot, Bert. God is sovereign. Man is free. Uh, man must make a choice, and yet God knows the choice we'll make. I personally can't put all that together in one box, but I read the Word of God, and it, it is all there. We must choose Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Boyd. We haven't got time for a long question. I think Walter in Mississippi has got a real short question. Walter, do, do it real quickly. Uh, I, I was just wondering what Scripture refers to women uh, homosexuality. I know there's plenty of about men, but what about women? Well, it's also in the book of Romans, and men changing to men for men and women for women. Romans chapter 1 has that in there, doesn't it, Alex? Yeah, uh, women exchange the natural use of the man. Uh, and, you know, and it does in the Romans one twenty six, Romans chapter 1. That's why a lot of liberals, oh my goodness, they hate Romans and they love to attack the Apostle Paul. But it says to do, do those things that are unspeakable. And, and let me just say this, anybody can be saved, but we have to repent and turn to Christ. And folks, it might be the 21st century, but sin is still sin, and God is still God, and he tells us to turn away from it. Adultery's in that list. Fornication is in that list. And we need to let, let it all be known. But God, over in book 1 Corinthians 6, isn't it? And such yes. were some of you. <laughs> they were, but God had saved them and brought them out. And God can bring you out. Trust him. Joe and Jamie, we'd love to talk to you today, but maybe you can get in tomorrow, and we'd love to hear your question. Alex, we'll be in uh, Proverbs 23 tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's going to be exciting as well. It is. Folks, we thank you for listening to Exploring the Word and listening to the great programming of the American Family Radio Network. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Invite them to listen. But most of all, though, most of all, tell everybody about Jesus.